What am I thankful for this Thanksgiving? Corona forced carbon emissions down 8%. Nobody ever did that before. Internal combustion engines stopped. Mass shootings went way down. The engines and guns seemed to be waiting for the vaccine. The forest near my house, Prospect Park, increased its volume of vibrating songbirds, crying wind, symphonic insects, moaning, cracking trees. Even the silence increased its volume. And the color of the sky changed to a deeper kind of blue. Such a deep blue, it seemed to flicker with other colors. This is what I'm grateful for this Thanksgiving. For years, human beings have needed an impossible transformation. Earthalia, and the color of the sky changed to a new kind of deeper blue, full of colors, transformation. Ocean surf sounds in the tossing trees at the tops of the forest, transformation, corona, killing us every day as the sky turns a deeper blue, the forest full of piercing brash sounds, transformation, and the streets filled with a million people shouting, George Floyd, Brianna Taylor, Ahmoud Arbery. I'm full of gratitude this Thanksgiving that my city, so many cities, turned inside out, vast clouds, nobody home, out on the streets, justice stopping the cars and trucks that deep blue sky and that musical forest seem to be amplifying the cry for justice. Welcome to Reverend Billy Radio, preaching for the planet. I'm here with the Stop Shopping Choir. You know, if you're really, really grateful, then that gratitude turns into a dramatic civil disobedience. And this year, we're taking a good hard look at Amazon. Amen. Yes. Right.
at the Earth Church. Welcome, I'm Reverend Billy. Well, that gratitude song, that's about activism. Some of the people out in Radioland, you are freedom fighters and you recognize the exhaustion and the meetings all night and the talking and talking and the failures and the risking arrest. And Yes, this song comes to us from the director of the Church of Stop Shopping, Savitri D. And it really is about the tradition of the United States. Now we have a need to be powerful activists who can bring to heel this tremendously powerful and rich company, the Amazon company, that is putting a million metric tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere every week and is an endangerment to our children and to you and I. Because the apocalypse is happening right now with the fires, with the storms, and with this virus we have a real job to do to save our own lives. We need to find a way to be generous in this Thanksgiving season toward the people who work at the Amazon company. There are one million of them. They've hired and grown very quickly, big community of people. And we need to not oppose them with the old shouting, partisan, sign-waving, judgment, anger. We need to find a new way. Friendlier, sneakier, invasive. I'll admit that. A good protester finds a way. Because in this case, we're saving lives. We have to be unusual. We have to be strange. We have to invent a new kind of protest to defend our earth. We need to take that risk now to be radically different. Now, I'd like to suggest that the way that we do it is through music and through humor, through entertaining, making the environmentalism something that makes you tap your foot or sing along <laughs> or laugh. But there will be a special way to approach the Amazon company. And that man at the top is a trillionaire, the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos. We will come to them and we will be different. Maybe they won't even think of us as protesters because that's somehow a solution to not be thought of in the beginning, at least, as traditional protest people. Well, this Friday, we are beginning our work in the holiday season. The Stop Shopping Church is an activist group that sings and risks arrest. We sing our songs in the back aisles of Walmarts and in the lobbies of big banks. And this year, we're singing right into the Amazon company. I'm not going to give away all our secrets on the microphone right now, but I would like to invite those of you who are hearing me right now speak before Black Friday, the 27th, this Friday. Well, we will be gathering at the New York City mansion of Jeff Bezos at 26th Street and 5th Avenue in downtown Manhattan. 
We'll be there at high noon. And if you come and join us, wear a black, but not just a black t-shirt and jeans. We will be in our black suits and black dresses <laughs> with black shoes. And we will be bringing to you, if you need it, some lacy black head covering so that you can seem to be in a funeral. We will be mourning 20,000 workers in the workforce of Amazon that we know of, well, they've, they're sick. They have the COVID-19. And some number of them have died. We don't know that figure. The company won't release it. But they're in a tough position in a union-busting company working 12-hour shifts. And it's uh, not a union company, so therefore, you can't have sick pay. Although maybe they got pressured into sick pay in some cases now. Did I read that somewhere that now they're treating their people better? But last April and March, when we were losing a thousand people a day in New York City, there was no sick pay and people had to come to work even if they didn't feel so great, which is not a good idea, but it's food and rent we're talking about here. So we will have some of the people from the workforce with us on Friday. The name of our action is The Cost of Convenience. It might be your life. Well, come and join us. And those of you who can't be with us, well, you can see what happened on the social media. Revbilly.com, R-E-V-B-Billy, Revbilly.com. And so, we will bring mourning, but also joy to this event on Friday. In our last rehearsal, I recorded some gratitude. But I asked a couple of the singers in the Stop Shopping Choir what they were grateful for this Thanksgiving season. Barbara, what are you grateful for? What are you feeling grateful for today here? I am so grateful that I have such a big family. My choir family, just like people in my life, you know, I keep, I can't understand how anybody can feel so much joy and so much love from people, you know, and all I have to do is reach out. That's right. Which is hard for me to do. And if you don't reach out, we'll find you. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm grateful for. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful gratitude, Barbara. We feel the same way towards you. All right. When I was a child, we used to go out hunting mushrooms together. He was like a man in his like 70s. And I was like maybe eight, nine, ten. And my brother and I and several other friends of ours, we would go out and get mushrooms. And he taught us how to find, you know, edible mushrooms. But then we would come back and on the way back to our part of town, he lived in the, the, the southern part of town, we were in the northern part of town. He would stop and his, his wife would say, I have a piece of panucci, have a panucci. little panucci. panucci, have a little panucci. And we go like, oh my God. So you're, was like, you're having a, Pru a Proustian moment. <laughs> I'm having this moment. Because like, what was better, the panucci or the mushroom, which we call like sponges or, you know, like, oh my God. But they were delicious too. But what a great thing. I mean, and I haven't had this, and I can't even remember when the last time I had it. And this is Donald's <laughs> right. being grateful. <laughs> Very grateful. For the Panucci. <laughs> Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, Panucci. Yes, it's me.
richest man in the world. How you making your money? Richest man in the world. You living off of the road. Richest man in the world. How you making your money? Richest man in the world. You living off of the road. Welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. Scientists have found microplastics hidden in the snow and streams on Mount Everest, adding to the concerning body of evidence that no place on the planet is free from these microscopic pollutants. New analysis of 19 snow and stream water samples collected from the world's highest mountain, standing at 29,029 feet and located at the China-Nepal border, showed the presence of microplastics in every snow sample from five locations and in three out of eight stream water samples from six locations. The research is the first to document the presence of microplastics in snow and stream water on Mount Everest, which was recently cleared of 24,000 pounds of trash. The Norwegian government is offering 136 new oil leases in northern waters in spite of intense opposition from activists and environmentalists. About half of the suggested blocks are in the northern part of the Barents Sea and will, if approved, be some of the northernmost offshore oil drillings in the world. Around 200,000 people are employed directly or indirectly in the petroleum sector in Norway. Methane flares are increasingly scorching birds at U.S. landfills. Waste facilities must dispose of methane gas by burning it off, but birds, particularly hawks and owls, are flying into the colorless flames at alarming rates. The predators are attracted to the landfill because of the abundance of prey. The cedar tree is a source of national pride in Lebanon. 
The cedar forests have a long history. They provided Phoenicians with timber for their merchant ships and early Egyptians with wood for elaborately carved sarcophagi. But now the very survival of these ancient giants is in question. Scientists say rising temperatures and worsening drought conditions brought about by climate change are driving wildfires in the Middle Eastern country to ever higher altitudes, encroaching upon the mountains where the cedars grow. Changing weather patterns in Lebanon, defined by its long Mediterranean coastline and mountain ranges, are also upsetting the ecology of the cedar forests. Warming temperatures have spawned infestations of the web-spinning sawfly, which has decimated entire tracts of forest. The strongest tropical cyclone ever measured in the northern Indian Ocean has made landfall in eastern Africa, where it is poised to drop two years' worth of rain in just two days. Tropical cyclone Gati made landfall in Somalia with sustained winds of around 105 miles per hour. It is the first recorded instance of a hurricane-strength system hitting the country. At one point before landfall, Gati's winds were measured at 115 miles per hour. Gati is the strongest tropical cyclone that has ever been recorded in this region of the globe, further south than any Category 3 equivalent cyclone in the North Indian Ocean. Its intensification from about 40 miles per hour to 115 miles per hour was the largest 12-hour increase on record for a tropical cyclone in the Indian Ocean. A Chicago-based global developer and operator of green energy generation and storage announced a 1,300-megawatt solar farm in northeastern Texas on Wednesday. It will be the largest in the U.S. upon completion. Samson Solar will be constructed in five phases over the next three years, with each phase commencing operation upon completion. The full project will be operational in 2023. When complete, it will produce enough energy to power nearly 300,000 American homes. Solar is projected to be the fastest-growing contributor to Texas's power grid in the next three years. The Australian platypus displays biofluorescence. Under an ultraviolet lamp, the platypus glows a soft greenish-blue hue instead of the typical brown human sea. Biofluorescence has now been observed in placental New World flying squirrels, marsupial New World opossums, and the monotreme platypus of Australia and Tasmania. Among mammals, the first example of biofluorescence was reported in 1983 in the Virginia opossum, the only marsupial in North America. But it wasn't until 2017, and by complete accident, that researchers uncovered something similar in North America's flying squirrels. Scientists suspect that biofluorescence is part of the animal's night camouflage. A giant underground river fed by melting ice is likely running in a state of perpetual darkness far below the surface of Greenland, according to new research. Nicknamed the Dark River, this hypothetical waterway may stretch for 620 miles, flowing from the deep interior of Greenland all the way to Petermann Fjord in the country's northwest. Heat waves caused a record 2,556 excess deaths in Britain this summer as the country was struggling to contain the coronavirus pandemic. Britain suffered a series of heat waves in June, July, and August in which many weather stations around the country broke or matched their maximum temperature records. The estimate of more than 2,500 excess deaths was the highest since the government launched a plan to manage the health effects of hot temperatures after an estimated 2,200 people died in England during a pan-European heat wave in 2003. 
A new USC study finds that many workers across various job sectors feel underappreciated, especially by their bosses, and roughly half of employees say they are thanked less than once per week by their supervisors. The authors say their study generally shows that the workplace is full of missed opportunities for thanking others. Researchers also found employees value written thanks over spoken expressions of gratitude and prefer their managers to deliver the message one-on-one -on -one instead of in front of larger groups. The study shows employees value expressions of thanks in writing because of the time and effort it takes, the specificity of the gratitude expressions, and the ability to use it as a record of their performance. Another reason is that employees enjoy rereading thank you notes when they need a morale boost. Prior research overwhelmingly shows that when employees feel appreciated and thanked, they are happier, more engaged with their work, and more committed to their colleagues and organizations. And now the sound of extinction. The Kauai'o'o bird, or O'o'a'a, was a member of the extinct genus of the O'o's within the extinct family Mohadai from the islands of Hawaii. It was previously regarded as a member of the Australo-Pacific honey eaters. This bird was endemic to the island of Kauai. It was common in the subtropical forests of the island until the early 20th century when its decline began. Its song was last heard in 1987, and it is now extinct. The causes of its extinction include the introduction of the Polynesian rat, the domestic pig, and mosquitoes, as well as habitat destruction. The bird was among the smallest of the Hawaiian o's, if not the smallest, at just over eight inches in length. The head, wings, and tails were black. The central tail feathers were long, and there was a small tuft of gray feathers under the base of the wing. While the beak and legs were black, the leg feathers were a rich golden yellow. It was the only o'o known to have eyes with yellow irises. Like other honey eaters, it had a sharp, slightly curved bill for sampling nectar. Its favored nectar sources were Lobelia species and the Ojai Lahau tree. The species was additionally observed foraging in Lapa Lapa trees. It also ate small invertebrates and fruit. The Kauai'o'o was very vocal, making hollow, erratic, flute-like calls. Both the males and females were known to sing. The bird was a cavity nester in the thickly forested canyons of Kauai. A factor in their extinction was two hurricanes coming within 10 years of each other. The first destroyed many of the old trees with cavities, and the second prohibited tree growth, causing the species to disappear. The bird was last sighted in 1985. And here, the sounds of the o'o'a'a.
And you're listening to Reverend Billy Radio, preaching for the planet. And now it's time for our weekly interview. Savitri D. and I, about three years ago, as hosts of another radio show called The Earth Wants You, we talked to Tim DeChristopher. And the first few minutes of our interview will be here on this radio podcast, but it will be available, an audio link of it will be available on our blog at revbilly.com. And we chose this because we think it takes on this role that we're thinking about here in the initial campaign against this amazing, formidable company, Amazon. Yes, I think the kinds of things that Tim talks about addresses this incredible task. Well, have a good listen. Earthaluya. I'd like to introduce Tim to Christopher. Tim is a climate activist and co-founder of the environmental group Peaceful Uprising. In December 2008, he protested a Bureau of Land Management oil and gas lease auction of 116 parcels of public lands in Utah, wild public lands. He eventually uh, served 21 months in prison uh, for his action at that auction. Um, And when he came out, he started Divinity School at Harvard, which he has recently completed, and he has founded the Climate Disobedience Center. And he's now fortunately located in the Northeast, so we occasionally get to see Tim. And Tim, welcome to The Earth Wants You. We always start by asking um, if you could just describe your favorite place on Earth. Uh, well, well, thank you for having me, um, and and that's a great place to start um, with my fa- favorite place. Um, for me, it, it's uh, I, I go back and forth between um, a place that was very critical to my early life, which was the Otter Creek Wilderness in the Monongahela National Forest in West Virginia, um, where I had some some formative experiences uh, growing up and and as a teenager, spent a lot of time there. Um, and and also then uh, a later period in my life when I lived out in Utah and and out in the the West Desert of Utah, um, just south of Tooele and near the Dugway Proving Grounds, um, there was a certain hill where I spent a whole lot of time and and a couple years of my life, and uh, and I can always maintain a, a strong connection to, to that particular spot in my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the source spots we find, especially in wilderness, that we can like recharge, almost just imagining them, we can find our way again. Um, for some of our listeners, when you say a hill in Utah, <laughs> that could be a big mountain. Are you? Is it a real, really a hill, or is it a big hill? We've got hills in Prospect it, Park, <laughs> 20 or 30 feet high. <laughs> Well, it's a it's a foothill. It's a foothill uh, of the Sheep Rock Mountains. Um, so the the mountains just behind it are uh, a few thousand feet taller, but uh, but this particular hill is is just a humble little hill. But it's it was your place. Yep. I have a place in um, in Prospect Park. There's an old growth forest there, and you know what I'm talking about, Tim. We've we've walked through. Yeah, uh, it's an, yeah. We just walked through there. Unusual for an urban, but recently, uh, 
this is a part of urban life. Uh, recently, a, an environmentalist uh, named David Buckel um, took his life nearby uh, just Saturday, I believe, just a few days ago. <clears throat> and he uh, was our great uh, composter in New York. He ran the biggest compost station in Red Hook and was teaching everybody how to do it on a, on a scale that we need here in New York. And he left this note. Pollution ravages our planet, oozing inhabitability via air, soil, water, and weather. Most humans on the planet now breathe air made unhealthy by fossil fuels. And many die early deaths as a result. My early death by fossil fuel reflects what we are doing to ourselves. And David um, immolated uh, himself with fossil fuel. Um, they just found his uh, smoldering ashes um, Saturday morning. It, it, it was such a a bolt of lightning and so eloquent and accurate to the quandary that environmentalists find themselves in right now. The ac earth activists don't quite know how to call out to the people that the emergency is this serious. It is life and death. We don't know how to be planet criers. We don't know how to run down the street and say, the town is on fire we have to get out of our houses now. I'm just uh, flabbergasted that this man um, um, decided to take this 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 route to communicating with us. Mm -hmm. Now we're watching it go through the culture. And I and I hope that it does go through the culture. Um, I mean, to me, there's a, a lot of layers of tragedy and heartbreak in this story. Um, you know, there's there's the layers of tragedy uh, that that motivated David to get to that point. The the tragedy of what we're doing to the earth, of what we're doing to to our children's future, um, what we're doing to each other, and and then. The, beyond that, that heartbreak that that David clearly felt uh, is a further heartbreak of our our seeming ineptitude in doing something about it. Even those of us who recognize that crisis and are trying to do something about it mm -hmm. so often get to that point of feeling like is anything we're doing making a difference. Uh, and it seems that, that David was, was feeling that, and he got to that point of despair, of, of finally having nothing left to give but his own life, um, and and made his, his sort of offering to the world, his offering of despair to the world. And and that's certainly a, an immense tragedy and heartbreak there, that, um, that somebody who has these values and, and has this, this passion and this capability to do, to do something about the problems in the world, 
um, not just environmental issues, but but the LGBT rights that he spent so much of his life fighting for as well. So successfully, um, I think part of the shock here is yeah. that he had been such a successful activist in his life, and that when he turned to earth justice and the crisis of the earth, he he felt he could do nothing. And I know there are a lot right. of people out there right now, Tim, who feel that way. What would you say to them? I mean, I would say, first off, they're, they're not alone. You know, that I think that all of us who do work on this issue um, frequently have that feeling, frequently feel that, that despair. Um, you know, I can, I can understand why David Buckell would do something like that. Um, but, I mean, I think there's a, a further layer of tragedy than um, in the wake of his action if, if it doesn't have, have an impact and doesn't arouse uh, a reaction. Um, you know, when, when the Buddhist monks set themselves on fire in the, yes, in the just, Vietnam era. I was just era, thinking about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was a cultural resonance particularly within the Buddhist community in, in Southeast Asia, about what it meant to, to self-immolate. Um, and, and that act of despair, while it was still an act of despair, had, had an impact and did get people's attention um, and, and meant something to a lot of people. Um, you know, and there was the New York Times article about David Buckel. You know, it, it interviewed people around Prospect Park then, and you know, the one guy who was watching the the police clean up Buckell's remains, um, he was quoted as saying something like, um, "It's it's disturbing, and I don't want to have to ever think about it after today." And I think so much of our society will will have that reaction, you know, that that this is something challenging, and we don't want to think about it, and and so I think, you know, we have to we have to honor his sacrifice um, with a willingness to to witness to the the pain and tragedy of of our world today um, and and I think that's that's what that's what I would say to the to the people who are feeling that despair and that heartbreak um, of trying to do something about the ecological crisis and and feeling like none of our efforts are ever good enough. Well, let's unpack that. That there, that there is a value in in the witnessing and mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in experiencing that pain and that heartbreak. Whoa, 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 whoa. Reverend Billy here. Well. How's the Earth Church been? How you doing? We want to put a thank you out to Jason and Savitri and Tim and the Kawaii Bird and all of you who have helped us, the Stop Shopping Choir. You give us hope. Well, no, 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 hope. Hope is discredited. That's uh, hope is something Democrats have. What about... Uh, Anne and Paul Ehrlich, they came up with this answer. To be free, to survive, they said, here's the quote. All evidence points to the need 
for a quasi-religious transformation. Now, there you go. <laughs> That's it. And to say that is to be unknown. As we say in the Church of Stop Shopping, it's the fabulous unknown. It's what you see when you look at the night stars. But that is what we need. That is where we have to go. And we have to leave behind as much as we can of what we know, knowledge, that pile of pixels and paper, <laughs> all those things that we've done to build those careers. Now, we know that the monoculture of consumerism has been as addictive as it is alluring. It's a product life we've been living. And it's a hell of a situation we find ourselves in. Hundreds and hundreds of years since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, we have been putting carbon into the atmosphere and building our sophistication on the freedom that the carbon bloom, the burning, is giving us. Now... We're at the 417 units per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Now, well, now we have to make our way all the way through somehow. Rip up all those contracts, those product contracts that, that promised us to be wealthy and status and youth and good looks and <laughs> all the eternal verities of supercilious supervision by the 1%. we got to work our way through all of that. And the thing is, it is so far away at this point. Can we do it? If we say, yes, we must do it, we're going to do it, let's do it together, then that's quasi-religious. That's taking the unknown and putting it, putting it against your heart and saying, let's go. And that's the fiercest thing that you can use on those products. Because consumerism is the ultimate right-wing fundamentalist religion, and we have lived by that religion for a long, long time. It's stronger than the Roman Catholic religion in the 1300s. And here we are at Thanksgiving, just trying to glimpse where we got to go so far away. Can we break through the new form that Thanksgiving, that the holidays is taking? The shopping season. Touch that screen. The physical object shows up in 24 hours. Can we break through that convenience? Oh, the devil. COVID has been able to radically reduce the carbon dioxide and the methane. COVID has pointed at the hundreds of years that we have to struggle through. COVID has told us it's possible. Now I want to reach up to the night stars and take that fabulous unknown in my hand and put it to my heart and struggle through the products 
struggle through Amazon's deluge of greenwashing advertisements on buildings and buses and on the screens and in our brains everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Hundreds of millions of dollars trying to persuade us that they are sustainable and renewable, but we know they're, they're making a second planet. They're creating a second planet. And they want us to pay for the trip and then die on the way. It doesn't matter to them. Just so we die in debt. Because what are we to them? We're ancient sunlight. We're, we're extractionable. We're the gas and oil. And we burn when we buy. Can we thank the disasters and the deadly virus? These messages from the earth. We have to give thanks in a counterintuitive way this year. We have to thank the deadly things that come from life because there's death in life and we never knew that. But we're learning it now. It's a teachable moment like a tsunami. COVID, COVID, standing in our doorway like a bright red soccer ball covered with axes. We gotta wake up from this dream, people. And then wake up from that dream and that dream and that dream and that dream. Oh, we got a long way to go. If we do make it out of consumerism, if we do stop our shopping and start living, then we'll be at the edge of this cliff and we'll be facing evolution. We'll be facing evolution together. That's the next thing we have to do. Reach up into the stars and take the unknown to your chest. And let's leap from the edge of the cliff and fly and fall at the same time. I say fly and fall at the same time because we have to evolve quickly. The last extinction, 70 million years ago, the dinosaurs turned into birds. That might be what we have to do. We'll have to evolve quickly before we hit the rocks or give life to the next generation while we're still weightless, lost in this hallucination. Where are we going, people? As we fall, let's sing. Life, hallelujah. Life, hallelujah. Life, hallelujah. Life, hallelujah. Life, hallelujah. Happy Thanksgiving.